If you are able to stand, let's go ahead and stand for the reading. It's always amazing looking at those pictures of the men in this church and realizing they look like that. I like it. That was a blessing. Thank you, Gigi, for preparing that. That was a blessing. All right. Matthew 13. We'll begin at verse 53 and conclude with verse 58. Uh, You that are turning your Bibles must have a Schofield. Verse 53, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables... He departed thence, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James, and Hoseas, and Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That is a powerful scripture, verse 58. That will be our text. Let's pray here, okay? Father, we love you. We are thankful to be in your house. We pray that the Spirit of God would teach us, give us understanding. I pray, Lord, that through this you would be glorified. Our faith would be strengthened. If there are any in the house that are not certain of their eternal salvation. We pray that today would be the day that they would make certain. There may be those who are wandering, wayward. We pray their hearts would be turned to you. There may be those who are in the dark spiritually. They've come, they're seeking help. May you shine the light of truth in their hearts. Bless our special music now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, a little boy is visiting some friend's house for a birthday party. And uh, there's some cookies, chocolate chip cookies laid out. And he had been taught, you just, one, one cookie is enough. And so, when the uh, host of the home offered the cookies to the children, all the kids went up there and they grabbed a handful, and that little boy had grabbed his one cookie, and, and they went out to eat them in the, in the backyard and play. Well, he finishes his cookie, and they're still eating their extras. And uh, he doesn't realize that he could go back in and have more. Well, the kids work their way back into the house, and they go out. Some of them are playing games out in the backyard, and, and kids are coming out with more cookies, and that little boy's wondering, what's going on? 
And finally, the lady of the house comes out and said, there's more if you want them. And so he goes in and that's too late, they're gone. Now, I say that because we read this passage of Scripture. I didn't say that to make you feel bad for a little boy, to be honest. In the narrative that we just read, the Lord Jesus has returned home. And God's Word tells us that there were some mighty works that had taken place there, in spite of their unbelief. But then it emphasizes in verse 58, He could do there no mighty works, not many mighty works, that's the phrase, not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now there's something that you've got to understand here with that in mind. Uh, it wasn't that he didn't want to. He wanted to do more works. It wouldn't, when we read the scriptures, we've got to ask ourselves, why did God put that in there? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. When I read through Leviticus, it's not always obvious. Okay, I'll just be honest with you. But there are other occasions where I read this, and I've got to believe God put this in here because he wants us to know some things about this story, and we often understand more when we read a story. And in this passage, God wants us to know that here Jesus was around family and friends. He was around people that he grew up with. But when all is said and done, when he's ready to leave that environment, it says he could not do many mighty works there. Does that mean he didn't want to? Does that mean he wasn't able to? No, no, no. The issue is not his ability or his desire. And by the way, may I tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, in this room, I believe God wants to do more in your life, and I believe God wants to do more in my life. How many of you could use an extra dose of God working in our life? Your life, my life, absolutely. And we would desire it, and God wants to do that. But God is letting us know something. By the way, specifically people He knew. Specifically people that He had a natural, a human affinity to because He grew up with them. He could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, he places the blessing of his mighty works, or, yeah, the blessings of his mighty works in their hand of faith. Right there. It's kind of like this. Is Jesus able to save a soul from hell? Absolutely. Is Jesus, does Jesus desire to save souls from hell? Absolutely. But will every soul that is alive today go to heaven? It's not because that Jesus doesn't desire it. It's not because Jesus is not able and made provision. Are you with me? They made a decision. You see... Uh, God's letting us know something amazing here. In Psalm 78, verse 41, attests to this. Psalm 78, verse 41, tells us about some of the Israelites. They turned back in the day of battle and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now that's an awesome, amazing thought that you and I could limit God. 
When it comes to his desire in our life, we could limit him. When it comes to his desire uh, to work through us, and even in the lives of others, we could limit him. That's an amazing thought. But God records this so that we would understand, yes, it's possible. When I used to go down to the state fair, they had a... uh, they had a uh, uh, track ministry, Amazing Grace track ministry. Some of you have worked that uh, booth before, and, and boy, they'd hand out gospel tracks all day long, during, every day during the state fair, and many people would make decisions for Christ. They had this one display, and on this display, there were three uh, questions that were covered, uh, but on the top... It said, come see three things God cannot do. And that kind of made people curious, and they'd check it out. And that was a drawing card. As, as you were working the booth, I would, I, when I worked the booth, I used it. I said, hey, do you, do you believe there's anything God cannot do? And some people say, well, no. And I said, well, there is. There's three things God cannot do. You've got to check this out. And we'd bring them in there. And I'd say, number one, look at there, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Number two, I said, you got to guess, got to guess, got to guess. And they couldn't guess. God cannot change. I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. He's always faithful. He's always truthful. Number three, you ready for this? You ready for this? God cannot allow anybody in heaven unless they're born again. A lot of times that would open the door to share the gospel. But the fact is never, is God able and is God willing? The, the issue is always our faith. And the Lord Jesus makes it very clear. The Word of God makes it very clear in this passage. Now, there's a couple things I need to do here. I need to answer this idea of, okay, what, what is implied? What is this belief here that he's talking about? Because I don't know about you, I, I, I don't want to limit God. I mean, if there's, I don't want to get to heaven, and, and I'm sure we're all going to get there to a degree, and we're going to see what, what could have been. I'm sure to a degree we're going to see that. But as long as I'm on this side of eternity, and I know there's more Canaan land, God's will, for me to conquer, man, I want it. Hello? And so i got about two of you nodding your head, and the three of you, I don't know, the rest of you, I don't know what you're doing, but... Everybody in the balcony awake. All right, okay. Remember, Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. I'm just telling. Okay. That's all right, it's all right. It's warmer up there, I understand. So, uh, uh, <laughs> you all like the spectator's view, I know. You want to be part of that great cloud of witnesses, that's fine. So, uh, but I got to understand this because I, I've got to understand the text. I got to understand these words if I'm going to grasp. What, what is it that I can do to to remove uh, the hindrances in my life that would keep God from doing a work. I, I, I need faith, but just to say I have faith, that, that's not enough. I need to understand it, and you need to understand it. So what is faith here? I want to explain what is belief. There's two questions I'm going to answer. What is belief, and why did they not have any? We're going to answer those two questions here. All right, I know it sounds very simple, but that's fine. I would hope you could walk out here and you could share the same message. Belief in a simple phrase is simple dependence on God. Dependence or trust 
dependence or trust. In its, in its nutshell meaning, meaning, belief is dependence or trust. Every single one of you right now have put an element of faith in that green chair you're sitting on. Some of you didn't know it, but uh, the legs are uh, sawed off on a couple of them. They will collapse the moment you put a lot of pressure on it. So be careful. I'm teasing. I'm not telling the truth there. All right. But the reality is uh, that is an element of faith you're, you're applying right now. Now, as we consider this idea of belief, this belief, all right, not to get too deep, but I've got to explain this and give complete clarity to it. When we consider faith or belief, there is a, a, a restive, I think that's a new word, restive. Hey, does it, is, can anybody validate that? Is that, does that? Do you understand the word? Well, let's go tell Webster to put that in there, restive. Okay, there's a restive faith. Okay, and then there's a responsive faith. So right now, you're, you're a, in a way, you're applying the rest of faith. The rest of faith is this. It's trusting God with the things you have no control over. It's trusting God with the things that are out of your ability and out of your hands. Let me put it like this. Rest of faith is you being the passenger. For nearly 6,000 miles, my wife had rest of faith. Now, she got a little nauseous a little bit now and then. But she never jumped out. I was going too fast. But that's rest of faith. That's, that's passenger faith. That's, that's okay, when, when God says, be still and know that I am God, that's rest of faith. When he says, Cast your care upon me, for I care for you. That's restive faith. When he says, take no thought for the morrow, for the things of the morrow would take care of themselves. He's not saying don't be a prepared person, but he's saying don't worry about the things you have no control over. That's restive faith. And by the way, many of us, many of us, listen, this is going to be a tough pill to swallow. This is an acid test, but I got to say it because it's the truth and I struggle with it too. Some, the reality is this, the degree of our unbelief in the rest of faith is revealed by the degree of worry we carry around with us. Hello? Now listen, I've worried. Hi, I'm Merv McNair, I've worried. But the reality is, if you're worrying about things that are out of your control, if you're worrying about things you have no control over, I have no control over what's going, over on, the, going on in the Middle East except for the uh, exercise of prayer. My heart's for Israel. Absolutely for Israel. But I have no control over that. I had no control over the election, apparently, even with a vote. <laughs> Oops. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Who does? God. He does. Should I be able to rest in that? Yes or no? That's rest of faith. That's rest of faith. But responsive faith, here's, here's this, is, uh, this is the faith that, it's not the passenger, it's the driver. It can be illustrated this way. 
Because many of you apply faith all the time, especially when you see a police officer on the side of the road when you're going beyond the speed limit. What kind of faith do you apply? Brakes? <laughs> what are you testifying to? You're testifying that you believe in their authority to pull you over. And that belief has affected your behavior. You with me? Amen. That's responsive faith. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my children. That's responsive faith if you, if you believe in the blessings of God. When Elisha told the king of Israel, beware of going such a place. And the king obeyed, and he was protected as a result from the enemy. He was applying responsive faith. When Joshua, when Joshua was ordered by God to march around Jericho every day for six days on the seventh day, seven times, and then shout and praise the Lord and blow the trumpets, when he was ordered by God to do that, and then he did that, as he was doing it, he was exercising responsive faith. What was the result? The walls fell. Victory came. And that's what you and I need to understand. So uh, my wife and I, we were out in South Dakota, Black Hills area, Custer National Park. We went there. Beautiful country. Then we drove into Wyoming to this place called the Devil's Tower because every preacher ought to go to the Devil's Tower. So anyways, so we went to the Devil's Tower. It looks like a miniature volcano. No, nothing miniature about it. I mean, it looks like a volcano. And so we drive up to it, and there's probably, there's probably debris from the bottom of that, I'll call it a volcano, the bottom of that tower, okay? The debris from the base of that tower to the path is probably from me to the back wall there. There's big boulders, rocks between uh, me and the tower. And uh, it's kind of on an incline, gradual, as though it broke off from the from the tower and fell down and spread out. And my wife noticed something that I really didn't pay much attention to, you know. She noticed these signs. Beware of snakes. You know, what's that all about, you know? I don't know if it said beware of rattlesnakes. It said specifically rattlesnakes, okay. It didn't say beware of gardeners. It said beware of rattlesnakes. So it's about 60 degrees. We're up there. It's sunny, not a lot of wind. And I said to her, I said, honey, I think it might be a little cool for these rattlers to be out. And, I, and I'm looking at that tower as it ascends upward, and I said, Dawn, we got to touch that thing. I want my human hand to touch the devil's tower. She said, uh, there's snakes. I said, there's no snakes. I said, I said, they're, I said, they're going to be dormant right now anyways. It's too cool. And so... Uh, I talked her into it. And so you got to visualize this. So I said, just follow me. I said, here's the shortest path to that tower. And so I said, and it was hand and foot over these boulders. I said, now just, just follow me. I, just come on. And I, and I got to about, oh, I don't know, 15 foot of it. I said, turn back. Turn back. Turn back. Turn back. Turn back. I said, come on, there's a snake. (laughs) 
The lesson I learned is rattlers are bigger in person than they are behind a, an aquarium. <laughs> I saw this, I, I kid you not, I saw this coil. So, you know, you've got all these rock crevices, I mean boulders here, and I saw this coil just in the sunlight, half in the sunshine and half in the shadows, and I saw it go, and boy, you can hear a rattler, you know. And I told her what to do if I got bit. I said, man, you got to cut me and suck the blood out is what you got to do. you got to promise me you can do that. She said she wasn't going to do it, so I wasn't going to take a chance on getting bit. So I turned around. I turned around, and, of course, she's still looking this way. I said, that's a rattler. And, boy, she goes into panic mode, and I thought she was going to break her neck over these rocks. So I had to catch her, and she's frightened, thinking I'm holding her up, you know. I said, no, no, we got to get down. we got to get back down to the path. That's responsive faith. <laughs> That's faith that the fact that I believe a rattler can hurt you. And that responsive faith moved me. It moved her, too. We apply faith often. Hello? We do apply faith often. The question is, do we apply faith in God often? That's the question. I mean, every day we apply faith. Every day you get in the car with your husband driving, you're applying faith. Some of you said, don't you know it. I know it, man. I'm, I'm praying. Matter of fact, my faith is really going up when I'm driving in the passenger seat with my husband. And then some of you men saying, yeah, when I let her drive, my faith goes up too. So... Uh, <clears throat> But that's, that, it's very important that we understand these things, this receptive faith or responsive faith and restive faith. Because now when Jesus said this, he said, uh, it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I got to understand some things. So basically what that's telling me, what that's telling me is this. Uh, uh, when, when, when I'm not exercising faith, I'm limiting the work of God in my life. Now, the reality is this. Every time I pray, by the way, not, not just mechanically, but every time I pray, because all of us can pray mechanically. Hello? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, may the Lord my soul take or whatever. I hope you got that cared for before you die, actually. But, <clears throat> uh, you know, we can get into these rote prayers. And I, I do the same thing. I know people, I got a list of people I pray for. I pray for the membership, but I, I can get to where I can just say your name. And I, matter of fact, I've got an extensive prayer list. And sometimes if somebody has died, I'll still pray for them because I'm not really thinking about it. Anybody else ever done that? Hey, raise your hand. Let's, let's confess one to another. Good, I'm not the only one. You hypocrite, you. <laughs> I've, got, I've got family that they, they passed away, and I've become so accustomed to saying their name after another name that I'll, I'll keep saying their name. And it's like, wait a minute. Lord, forgive me. I'm not even thinking about the people personally. But see, the idea of this exercising faith, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. I mean, I, I need to be mindful. I am talking to God Almighty who wants to hear me, who wants to listen to me. 
who wants to show great things. Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. And we've heard about prayer so often that it becomes routine. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I don't want to. But when we neglect prayer, ladies and gentlemen, when we neglect prayer, all we're doing is neglecting our, we're, uh, we're not exercising faith. We're showing unbelief. We're just showing, we're just showing unbelief. Um, when, I, when I don't witness, when I don't give, when I don't obey what I know is true, I'm, I'm testifying, God, I don't believe you. I, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're going to come. Or it may be, I believe I'm an exception to the rule. I can get by with this. I can get by with this particular behavior, even though I know some people it was sin. But I know, uh, God, you're a God of grace, and you'll, you'll overlook that. Listen, I, I, I'm not exercising faith there. Hello? We do this, and the result is we limit the work of God in our life. We limit His work in our life, working in us and through us. The next question I want to answer is this. Oh, by the way, by the way, every time you receive a check from your boss or from somebody you did some work for, you exercise faith, don't you? I mean, is that paper worth uh, the ink that, that, that is written on it? Can you actually take it to the bank and get some money out of it? Well, most of you, if you've received a check from a particular individual or a company before, you, you just assume it's going gonna, it's gonna to cash and you're going to get... Get your money. And so you go to the bank or you do the direct deposit and you get your money, but you did it by faith, even though you may have come accustomed to it. So we exercise this idea of faith all the time. But the question is, do we exercise it in the Word of God? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So God says, you want my blessing on you, stay away from this crowd, this crowd, and this crowd. In the sense of don't let them influence you. Hello? But he also said this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So if, I'm gonna exercise, if I truly believe God wants to bless me, if I want to be a, a beneficiary of God's blessings, I've got to exercise faith. I've got to exercise responsive faith in the sense of, okay, God says there are some things I'm not supposed to do, and then there are some things I'm supposed to do. And if I do this, God says there'll be a b- blessing that I'll receive as a result. And if you uh, uh, apply this, you're exercising faith, but a lot of people don't even exercise that, and they wonder, how come so-and-so just seems to be taking care of, so-and-so seems to be able to get through the difficulties and heartaches of life. How come they're able to handle all this, and it's God's blessing in their life? Now, why did these people, these people, and I've got to finish up quickly here, why did they not have it? Why did they not have faith? Is it because they didn't know who Jesus was? Is it because they never saw a mighty work or mighty miracle? Look at, look at the text. Look at verse 54. And when he was come into the, his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these, present tense, mighty works? Why did these people not believe? Was it because they didn't hear, they didn't see? That's no. The very text lets us know They heard the wisdom of God. They witnessed the power of God. And yet, 
and yet they still did not have belief. Well, that's interesting. Notice the questions. In verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And so on and so on. What they're saying is, whoa, we've known him since he was a young man. He was just a quiet carpenter's son. Who does he think he is now? The Bible says they were offended at him. Did you catch that phrase? That verse, the concluding verse, I think verse 56 The end of that verse says they were offended at him. That's strange. You know what makes people offended sometimes when they see their peers doing great things? Envy. Hello? When they see their peers ascend above them. Because Jesus, he's he's Messiah. You're not, even, you're not even in the realm of faith until you're willing to trust Him as Messiah. And so, they couldn't accept that. What I marvel at is, He did some mighty works. He did some in spite of their unbelief. Hello? In spite of their familiarity. Now, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, there's been a miracle that's taken place in your life. Some of you, you know, it's more, some of you, you have, you can look back and you see the change in your life more clearly than maybe others. How many of you can just, you just flat out in your own heart know, I am a changed person since I've been saved. I mean, that should be the case for everybody, but some people, they may have grown up in a way that they were moral people, they, they were in church, and so there weren't all these uh, external changes, more internal changes, and so sometimes it's harder to identify. But nevertheless, if you're born again, you've got a new creation in you. That's a miracle. You went from being lost to being found. You went from an ain't to a saint. Talked about that in Sunday school. And so that is a miracle. Some of us have experienced some miracles in spite of our weak, of weak faith or anemic faith. The, mar- the, the thing that I marvel at is this, though. In spite of what they heard, in spite of what they saw, they didn't want to trust Him. They were offended at Him. They... Could it be they were just too familiar? They, there's, a, there's an old phrase. Some of you can finish it. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You know, there's much truth to that. You can get accustomed to something that's valuable or even sacred long enough to where you don't treat it as valuable or sacred. Husbands and wives. Talk to me, class. Remember when you were first dating? Remember how sacred she was? Remember how valuable she was? Oh, but as the years have progressed, she's not that way anymore, huh? Hello, class. That happens, doesn't it? He's not as valuable as he once was to you. You're just grown accustomed to him. Even in church. Children that are brought up in church, thank God for children that are brought up in church, but you've got to protect them from this idea of getting so familiar that they don't treat things with reverence. Do you believe God deserves reverence? Hello? 
His word teaches us to stand in awe. But unfortunately, we're living in a society that has removed the reverence from all of the word of God, from worship and all of that. No, 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 God deserves it. Why is it that we don't reverence God the way we ought to? Could it be we've got too accustomed to things? Maybe we've hung around people who are just so casual. They're actually borderline, if not, showing contempt toward the things of God. Hello? You know, there's a Bible story that's fascinating to me. There's a man by the name of Abimelech in 1 Samuel chapter 4. If you give me a moment, I'll be done. I haven't preached here in four weeks. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the ark of God lands in Abimelech's house. The ark of God. What was in the ark of God? Ten Commandments. It was supposed to be sacred, reverenced. In a sense, it was the throne of God when it was in the temple. The ark of God is stolen from Israel, then finally brought back to Israel. It lands in a man's house by the name of Abimelech, who was a priest. It stays there for 75 years. David becomes king, and David says, we need to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. It's sacred. And so David attempts to do this. They go to Abimelech's house, so Abimelech and his brother put the ark of God on a wagon, and some cattle begin carrying the ark of God to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us as the cattle walked by the location where they were threshing wheat, (laughs) the cattle turned, shook the wagon, the ark became unstable. Abimelech, who was walking beside the wagon, put his hand on it to stabilize it, and zap! He died. And that messed up the whole parade. It put fear in David and everybody else around. So they placed the ark of God in another man's house by the name of Obed-Edom. Here Abimelech had had been around that ark for 75 years. And when it was time to move it, he had no idea the protocol. It was supposed to be delivered when it was carried by Levites, by men. And he used animals. God punished him. At three months' time, Within three months' time, that ark is in the house of Obed-Edom. Within three months' time, somebody runs to David and says, David, Obed-Edom is blessed because of the ark of God. His blessings are upon him. It's, it's obvious. Things are happening in his home that are just amazing. I don't know all the details that might have been one of the ladies who want, one of, one of the, maybe his wife was unable to have children and oh, she's going to have a child. Maybe they heard some things about their crops and wow, the Lord has blessed those in an amazing way. Maybe there was a, a child who'd gone wayward and they came back. I don't know. All I know is God tells us that the house of Obed-Edom was blessed and David heard about it and he realized, well, it wasn't the ark of God that was the issue. Because 
Obed-Edom was blessed with the ark of God, but Abimelech had it 75 years, and not one time does it say he was blessed. You and I hold something very sacred. You and I hold something very valuable. You and I hold something that requires faith. There are some houses in the room that have had it for years. Nothing real significant. Nothing really real life-changing going on. But then there are other houses that have received it just recently, maybe in the past months or just past few years, and they've embraced it and they've, uh, they've uh, uh, drawn from it, and all of a sudden they've experienced changes and the blessings of God in their life. Was it because the Word of God could only bless at one time? What was the difference? Was it, was it that, well, you know, God's selective and, and all of that. The, the issue is really this. It's not that God doesn't desire to, to bless. It's not that God doesn't, uh, He's not able to help. It's, it's faith. But an irreverent faith, of the getting too familiar with something that's sacred and letting it get to the place where ah, I can take it or leave it. Well, it's going to cost the person who leaves it every single time. I say to you what the lady said to the little boy. Wherever you're at in your Christian life, whatever prayer you're praying for right now, whatever desire you have to see God work in your life, whatever stronghold of sin that you want victory over, is God able? Yeah. Does God desire? Yeah. Well, there's more to be had. There's more if you want it. There's more growth if you want it. There's more power. There's more of His presence. There's more of His grace. You won't empty the well. When Jesus found the woman at Samaria at the well, at Jacob's well, guess what? That well had been there 2,000 years, and guess what? There was still water in the well. Still water in the well. There's still water in the well. There's more to be had. Ah, There's uh, something that's not in the text, in the narrative, but it's another reason why we don't have belief. Sometimes we just feel like we're not worthy. You don't have to raise your hand. But I believe people struggle with belief because they feel they're not worthy. Well, let me encourage you to begin with this. Begin with seeking His mercy and you discover it's available. Begin seeking His mercy. If you confess and forsake, He will have mercy. And the rest, you've opened the door. And then the other crowd is this. Some people believe, or should I say, some people don't have faith is because they just feel like they don't need it. Just not desperate enough. What did the Bible say about the Laodicean church? Jesus said, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, That's his 
assessment. But their assessment was, but you have need of nothing. That's why I'm outside, knocking on the door. May God help us always remember we need him. Always. Father, bless the message. Thank you for your word. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, allow me to ask this question. Number one, how many would say, preacher, I want God to do more. I need God to do more. I desire it. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Anybody like that? God bless you. Now, I know you don't have to come forward to pray, but there's something about coming to the altar. Even in the Bible times, when we come to the altar, it is a mean of humbling ourselves before the Lord. I hope you'd take that to the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. I want to ask another question. There might be some folks in the room that say, Preacher, I don't even know that I'll go to heaven when I die. I don't want to die and go to hell, but I am not certain I'll go to heaven. And I would ask for prayer. If you'd lift your hand so I could see it, I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that as I look around? Is there anybody like that? If you'll lift your hand so I can see it, is there any like that? Lord Jesus, I pray that you bless those that have raised their hands, strengthen them, encourage them. We're grateful that the God of Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Hannah, Mary, Deborah, the God of the Bible is our God, and you have not changed. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. May you forgive us for our unbelief. May you help us to exercise the faith we have, though it be smaller than a grain of mustard seed. Help us to exercise it. Help us to increase our faith. Bless the invitation. Bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Brian.